Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Our co-host, Charlie, is not here today. Actually, he's in the room right over there. I should just yell at him and tell him to come in here. But we got Benjamin Ianian. He is a uh, innovation fellow and commentator over there at Young Voices. It's been it's been a couple weeks. It's been too long, Ben. How are you doing? Yeah, no, it's good to see you again. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, anytime. Just like we said last time, we were just going to make you uh, as much of a regular as possible around here. Um, today, we got this article uh, that you had out in Counterpunch. And you're talking about the death penalty and the capital punishment and something yet again that we agree on. Uh, I keep hearing arguments from the right and from even libertarians and even from the left uh, for why we have to have the death penalty. Some people just have to have it. Why would you say it needs to be abolished, not expanded? Well, I think the two main reasons that it needs to be abolished are one, um, there's a possibility always of botched executions and we see this you know more frequently than we'd like to i think um there's not a ton of executions that occur every year in 2020 uh for the eighth consecutive year there were fewer than 30 people executed and fewer than 50 people sentenced to death um but still around a third of executions in um 2022 were botched and that can mean, you know, different things. A botched execution could be as simple as it takes a, an extraordinary long period of time to set an IV line on a inmate that mm -hmm. is going to um, receive lethal injection. But there are also botched elections or sorry, executions that cause excruciating pain um, for prisoners. You know, for example, in 2014, there was a man in Oklahoma who was left writhing on the table and clenching his teeth after receiving a, a three drug combination. And again, in 2021 in Oklahoma, um, after a period um, of a pause on executions in Oklahoma, when they restarted it in 2021, there was a man who was convulsing and vomiting after the administration of the first of three drugs. Um, and so I think that botched executions show how inhumane this practice can be. And then Last but but certainly not least, I think this is the more important point against the death penalty is the risk of sentencing innocent people to death. Uh, for every eight people who are executed on death row, one person is exonerated. We have evidence, strong evidence that multiple people have been murdered um, despite being innocent over the last handful of decades. And so I think that this should be really troubling for anyone that supports the death penalty. That I think is really the sticking point for most people. When you talk about the botched executions, I can hear people responding to that with, well, I mean, they deserved it, right? Look at what their victim had to go through. Uh, and here we are caring about the pain that this person went through uh, before they were killed. But uh, we don't want to have cruel and unusual punishment around here. Uh, the other thing uh, is that this has become very expensive because of the uh, the medications that they use, the drugs they use to do this. People don't want to supply it anymore. We've had these issues here in Tennessee, actually, where they haven't even been able to find the drugs to do it. And I believe they've had some botched executions here as well. The com companies don't want to supply it anymore. And uh, so it's at, uh, you also hear the argument uh, where I'm going with this is you hear the argument was, well, we don't want them living off of our tax money 
forever. Uh, we don't want to feed them and, and house them forever. Let's just do the death penalty. The death penalty actually ends up being more expensive, much more expensive, uh, it, it turns out, right? Yeah, it's, it's extraordinarily expensive. And, and you hit on a key point that it's hard to source these drugs at this point. You know, Back in 2016, when Pfizer officially blocked the use of its products for lethal injections, um, but prior to that, they were the last remaining federally approved manufacturer to supply its products um, for death penalty sentences. And so, you know, it, it's become extraordinarily hard to obtain drugs. So now you see states trying to bring back certain alternatives or even experiment with new alternatives. Uh, for example, Alabama just joined Oklahoma and Mississippi in authorizing executions by nitrogen gas, which has never been done before. And there's a debate about whether or not that would be incredibly painful. Obviously, lawmakers you know, uh, claim that it, it wouldn't be painful, the ones that voted for it. And then, you know, uh, people who, who fear that it could cause undue suffering, they'll bring in their experts that say, well, we don't really know. This could be very painful. But that's just beside the point. Um, we're seeing experimentation on human beings. That seems to me to be a bit cruel and unusual. Um, we also see states bringing back the firing squad as an alternative measure. Um which if, if they don't hit the right place, you could leave someone on the ground in excruciating pain for a while before they end up bleeding out. Um, and so the, the, the fact that it's hard to obtain these drugs, I think is a bigger issue than people realize. Um, and the fact that these re-drug combinations that a lot of states have, uh, that they don't work as intended often, I do think is also another reason to oppose it. I think a lot of these arguments, um, you know, they kind of fall on on deaf ears for people who support the death penalty, uh, the idea of the death penalty. And when you support that idea and you talk about how, well, this was painful for someone, like I said, people just be like, well, what about their victims? How much pain did they go through? But this is where you actually can win the argument. Do you trust the government to gather evidence to prosecute someone to decide to tell you for to tell you that they have enough evidence to take someone's life away because they know for sure that they committed this crime and that's where a lot of people on the right or libertarians should really rethink this do you if you don't trust the government with what they're going to do with your tax money uh with what where they're going to send your money for war do you really trust them to decide whether or not they can kill you uh, I don't. I don't at all. No, ab absolutely. Um, I, I, I do fully understand that the idea of undue suffering does fall on deaf ears for a lot of people who oppose or who support this punishment, rather. Um, I, I do think it's an important aspect because we, we do have rules against cruel and unusual mm -hmm. punishment. But to convince other people, you're right, we need to look at the fact that the state often acts unscrupulously when trying to obtain convictions against um, defendants in certain cases. Again, the Death Penalty Information Center has a page where they listed about 20 cases where someone has been executed for their crime, but there's strong evidence that they were actually innocent. And just to give an example, um, Troy Davis uh, was uh, was a man convicted of murdering a police officer in Georgia back in the 90s. And after he was convicted, there were witnesses 
who changed their stories. There was a juror who came forward who said now that they would actually vote against a guilty verdict. Um, he ended up being executed for the crime that he was convicted for. Um, but I think people who get executed in the end, their cases often just get pushed to the side and they're not talked about as much once they've actually passed. But so we can look at the individuals who have actually been exonerated to see how the state can really stack the deck against um, a particular defendant. You know, there was a man named Walter Ograd. I always pronounce mm -hmm. mispronounce his name, but he was convicted of killing a young girl back in the 90s. And the original detectives, um, investigators of the case wrote down in their notes after an autopsy that it seemed the girl had been killed by something, you know, lighter than a baseball bat or a tire iron. Those notes were never given to the defense attorneys and the prosecutors relied heavily on faulty forensic evidence that showed the woman was the, the young girl was killed by something like a weight iron, like a like a weight bar um, for lifting. And there was a, a jailhouse informant who falsely claimed that he um, confessed to mm. this crime. And so, you know, it actually turns out the investigators that were put on this case after a couple of years of no conviction, they it, it, we now know that these investigators had a history of coercing individuals into false confessions and they were able to do the same in this case. And so there, there's so many things that could potentially go wrong, um, like erroneous eyewitness eye testimony, you know, false confessions, you know, inadequate legal defenses. There, there, there's a list of problems that could lead to uh, a false conviction of an innocent person and ultimately a death sentence. And I think that we, the state should not be in the business of murdering its own citizens. Um, that's really where I stand on this. And since there is such a large risk of murdering innocent people based on crimes that they did not commit, I think that there's really no like to stand on when we're talking about the death penalty here. I mean, again, every for every eight people that are executed, one person is exonerated. That's one in nine. That's over 10 percent. Do you think, uh, I guess I'll just ask for a little bit of speculation here, but why do you think these the prosecutors and investigators are, uh, why do you think they do this? You know, I, I watch true crime shows all the time. I watch every single, my wife and I just watch every single show that we can possibly find that has to do with true crime. And you just see those prosecutors and investigators that it seems like all they care about is just closing the case, getting it off the book and, and getting it done. Now, sometimes... They might actually believe that they're getting the right person and just going about it whatever way that they can. Sometimes it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, it, do you think it's just a bad incentive process here? There, there certainly are poor incentives. There can be pressure from above to, you know, get somebody for this case if the community really, you know, is pushing political leaders to find someone uh, to pin the crime on. And then also, you know, individuals have um, incentives to, you know, further their career. And again, that doesn't mean that they are necessarily knowingly, let's say, obtaining false confessions. Um, maybe they believe what, you know, is what are objectively unscrupulous means to obtain either confessions or, or statements. They might believe that they're actually just being effective 
Um, so it, it's possible that they get results, you know, a couple of times one way, and then they start getting handed cases and they're promoted and, and all of a sudden their career's taking off and they're like, wow, our methods are really good. And they keep using them. And, and it turns out that, that they're really uh, prone to producing false confessions and, and false convictions. And, um, and so I think that there are a host of, of different issues. I, I'm not sure if we can pin it on, uh, you know, a ton of bad apples or if we can pin it on a misunderstanding of the methods that they're using i'm sure that there's a, a combination of both but which one is more dominant I, i'm sure it's, it's pretty hard to say this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. i want you to think about this really think about the answer to this question in the past week how much time did you spend on yourself on things that you needed and wanted versus the amount of time you spent on other people and what they wanted and what they needed. It's easy to get caught up worrying about everyone else and what makes them happy. And then a couple months go by and you're like, whoa, what about me? Not that it's wrong to, to want to help people. We should want to help people. But therapy can help you strike a better balance in your life so you can continue being a great friend or a great family member without getting stretched thin and burned out. My life was changed because I chose to go to therapy and our co-host Charlie has been a BetterHelp customer for years and he loves it. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, flexible, and convenient. Just fill out a few questions on the website. You get matched with a licensed therapist and you can even switch therapists at any time for no charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com gml today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp. H-E-L-P.com slash G-M-L. I was wondering, have you always had these views on the death penalty? Or you, so like me, I was very pro death penalty. I mean, you, I, I would have even said like, oh, whatever you did to that person, that's what needs to be done to you. You know, that's just fair. Uh, but then I realized that uh, they get it wrong sometimes. And just given that fact, uh, I just have to not support it. Uh, have you always had these views on the death penalty? Yeah, uh, to be honest, I, I did not. I think I was probably a lot like you. Um, I'm I'm only 23 years old, so I'd say that when I was in high school and at the beginning of college, I didn't really have strong political views. I didn't grow up in a family that talked a lot about politics. Um, and so I, I say that I, I would have supported the death penalty. Um, I always like to engage in conversation with people about politics when I was younger. And um, most of the people that I would come in contact to with in Northern Virginia, they wouldn't support the death penalty. Me being somewhat of a contrarian young teenager would always just want to argue the other side. And I would say, you know, you, you could make the case that if you take somebody's life, uh, you lose the right to your own. And, and, you know, you, if you commit a heinous act, that might be the, the only logical punishment for somebody. And I had definitely leaned pro death penalty. Um, but over the years in college, over my time in undergrad, I became much more of a libertarian, a classical liberal and believing in small government, having this uh, sort of skepticism of the state and of state power. And so the more and more I started reading about the death penalty and reading about different cases that have come up and seeing individuals get absolutely screwed in their trial for lack of a better term i just came to the point where i could no longer support the death penalty as a whole uh because of the risk uh that it would be given to innocent people yeah mine's kind of the same way i mean i i can say that morally like 
I believe in the death penalty. Like if you, like truthfully, you take someone's life, uh, like if you just knew, you just knew the, the truth somehow that it was this person for sure. I believe in it in that case. I think it's fair. But I can't, since I can't trust the person who's telling me that that was the person that did it, then I can't support it uh, for for anyone at all. It's a weird moral position to be in, and it probably makes no sense uh, whatsoever. Now, the thing in Florida, the the article was originally start uh, talking about Florida. We actually didn't go over what DeSantis uh, did in Florida. What happened there? Yeah, and so th- this is what you just said is actually a great segue into this. You know your your stance, and I actually do think it, it does make sense. Whether or not I, I share it, I'm not sure, but I I think that you make complete sense in that moral and logical combination there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so in Florida now, uh, Ron DeSantis just signed into law um, that juries can now recommend the death penalty in Florida as long as eight out of twelve jurors agree to uh, before it had to be unanimous. And this comes off of the back of the Parkland school shooter who was obviously convicted for his crimes, um, but he was not given the death penalty at sentencing because three of the 12 jurors did not want to recommend a death penalty sentence. And so that really infuriated Ron DeSantis, a lot of people in Florida. And I, I do think that the uh, emotional response to that is justified. Um, and I actually think based on what you just said, I would love to get your take on all of that. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, so that's why they, they ended up signing this into law. Um, and so the reason why I wrote this article was I'm seeing certain states trying to get around the shortage of lethal injections by experimenting on people i'm now or you know at least approving experimentation and now you know seeing florida expand access to the death penalty um and so that's why i felt this was an important conversation to have now yeah when it comes to the uh, the parkland shooter it's the situation is uh we know we did it uh we we know that for sure um, does do I believe he morally deserves the death penalty? Does he deserve to die? I would I would say yes, he does. Um, I I would agree with that, but I don't think that uh, killing him is worth the possibility of killing innocent people down the road. And so if if he needs to live in prison uh, for for the rest of his life, then then so be it. It wouldn't be worth it for me to to approve it for him to risk approving it for someone who is actually innocent. So morally, yeah, he deserves it. Uh, practically, can't do it. Yeah, no, I, I actually, <laughs> I think that that's, that's, that's really well said. And so that it's, uh, it is a concern because you can't draw these clear distinctions of, you can only give the death penalty when you know mm-hmm. that somebody, you know, carried out the crime. It's like, well, how are you gonna, you know, draw the parameters on that? And it, it, it becomes too, too messy. And I agree with you. It's not worth the risk of putting innocent people to death. And I, I think um, everybody, if they have, you know, five, 10 minutes, um, one day, go to the death penalty information um, center online and read some of the cases of individuals who either have been exonerated or who have been put to death and have really strong evidence that they shouldn't have been. The University of, of, of Michigan also has a database, uh, the National Registry of Exonerations online. And so those are really good in-depth 
um, articles about each case of individuals who have been exonerated. I think that they can be really illustrative of you know, the risks involved with this type of a policy. Watching case, do you watch any of the true crime shows or have you watched any of the Innocence Project uh, shows that they've done or have you watched any of that stuff? I've watched some of the the Innocence Project stuff and then um, the, you know, docu-series on Netflix, the little Mm -hmm. three episode ones about some crime. I've, I've definitely watched those from time to time. I think it's very important for people to watch things like that because you realize that uh, you can make an assumption uh, and you can decide that you think you know exactly what happened and you think that this person definitely did it. And those are my favorite ones where the show will make you think that it was definitely this person that did it. And then they'll show you just the clear evidence. OK, it actually wasn't this person at all. And I think it's very important because you learn not to make those assumptions, not to assume that whatever you think immediately is correct and to always leave your mind open to something else being true, I think that's really valuable, not just when you're talking about uh, innocence or guilt in a crime, but for everything on a daily basis. Absolutely. It's important, you know, for just the way that we approach and analyze different issues in our in our day to day lives, for sure. And and I think um, in terms of of these, you're right, they can be really illustrative of, of what, you know, can go on and piggybacking off of what you just said, you know, there were 12 jurors who were convinced that the person was guilty, that they ended up sentencing to death, because obviously you need a unanimous um, guilty verdict to even get, you know, uh, to a conviction. But it's just that the sentencing is a different process. Um, and so there were 12 people who were convinced that the individual that they recommended a guilty verdict to or brought back a guilty verdict for, um, that they were, they, they believed they were guilty. And so, um, it, it's always possible that, that things are presented in, in a way that aren't true, that statements are made, but are false. And so, you know, that, that can happen in, in any, kind of circumstance we come across in our lives. Um, but especially when we're talking about life and death situations, it's, it's, uh, the, the weight is very large. Oh, with, uh, I mean, even these days you do videos. I mean, you can do deep fake videos, AI generated videos. I don't trust the people that are, that are, uh, cataloging the, uh, the DNA. I don't, I don't know who those people are. Never met them before. I don't know what they're trying to do. I just don't trust the whole system. And it's, it's so bad that technology is getting to a point where I don't even know if I could trust a video of someone doing something anymore. I mean, how do you trust that? I've seen video of aliens attacking New York before. That wasn't real. So, I mean, how do you trust a video of someone killing someone? <laughs> Right, you check you check Twitter and you're like, oh my god, the alien invasion is here. And then you you do a little bit of you know research, like, oh okay, this okay. is a deep fake. That was, um, that was Independence but, Day. My bad. Yeah, <laughs> that was just a movie. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's so funny. So you're 100 right that that you know it's hard to trust what you see these days, and you never know what exactly you're coming across. The crime labs have incentive structure problems as well. There was a uh, 2013 uh, study that came out analyzing a, a lot of different crime labs. We actually found that uh, in multiple, numerous different states across the country, that crime labs are actually, um, they profit based on convictions. And mm-hmm. so that doesn't set up the greatest incentive for them to bring back um, honest analyses in different cases. 
No, no, not at all. Um, hey, so what else? What else are you working on? What are we going to be talking about here soon that you're working on right now? Well, I'm working on a couple of articles right now. One actually about the SpaceX launch. I'm sure you guys mm -hmm. heard Elon mm -hmm. Musk got yep. a lot of crap on Twitter for um, that rocket exploding. And then also Washington just passed a assault weapons ban, the state of Washington. And so mm -hmm. I'd, I have an article in the works on that. Do you think that's going to hold up? I personally don't. Um, it, you'd like me to quickly explain why I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm sure, happy to. Sure. So um, in the, the, the Bruin case that we saw uh, last year decided where basically states uh, now have to have um, shall issue laws for uh, concealed carry. Um, so in that case, the court argued, stated, highlighted, however you want to put it, <laughs> highlighted that the test for whether or not a gun regulation um, is lawful and constitutional is whether or not it's consistent with the tradition and history of firearms regulations in this country. And they pointed to a couple of things. Um, one that, you know, the second amendment generally protects guns, the use of guns that are in common use at the time, um, semi-automatic AR 15 style rifles, um, are incredibly popular. They're used for sport. They're used for hunting. They're used for self-defense. And so they're clearly in common use um, for lawful purposes. And so that's one point against uh, any type of ban uh, or any ban of this nature. And then uh, the other issue is that, you know, the court did point out there is a history of regulating, you know, what are considered dangerous and unusual weapons. If we look at the gun violence statistics, rifles account for a small percentage of gun homicides every year. They're semi-automatic, just like your typical handgun. So there's nothing that is dangerous or unusual about them. And so, you know, again, there's uh, 10 states now that have these sort of assault weapons bans. If you get a case all the way up to the Supreme Court, um, it's possible that they can outlaw all of them. And so I, I definitely don't think that they'll they'll hold up. That will be great. I hope that I hope that is the case. Um, I think this uh, this Supreme Court is the one that would be most likely to to overturn that for sure. And uh, I'm I'm from up in Illinois. All my family's up in Illinois, and Illinois just passed an assault weapons ban uh, also last year. So I'm hoping that they can knock this one down in Washington or Illinois and just kind of clear the slate. Did you say there's ten states that have them? Uh, yeah, from from uh, what I've I've seen, uh, Washington became the tenth state okay. to have an assault weapons ban. All right. So hope. Hopefully it gets knocked down. All right. Once again, tell everyone where to go to follow what you got coming up. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Benjamin Iyanian, um, or on Instagram at Iyanian 13 That's where I post all my interviews and articles. And I'd, I'd love to have you keep up with me. All right, Ben, thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure as always. Thanks for having me on. It was great talking to you.